Okay, so uh, let's pray. Let's just pray. Lord, we want to we know your heart. We want to hear your word. Most of all, I ask for your Holy Spirit to open our hearts to your heart and to your word. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, I have, if you ever think about it, I know the ones who are doing the Wednesday night thing are, are, are probably pretty well aware of this, that the Bible is one story. I mean, they do cover that, don't they? Don't they sort of say, right, it's one story. And a lot of us think of it as a collection of a lot of books that we don't really under, you know, that, that take a lot to, for, you know, for understanding. Um, but really, it's one story. From Genesis to Revelation, it's one story. And every, every book in that Bible has a purpose in presenting that story. You don't have to understand the entire story, but, it, you know, we like learning that story. But just bear in mind that that's, that's, the, that's the overarching fact, that the Bible contains one story. And that story is of creation, man's fall, and all this stuff about redemption. And with the object of, that's even stated in the book of Genesis, that we're going, you know, God is going to put things right again. And he's going to do that by sending a new Adam, so to speak. So, It's not just about getting saved. Getting saved is extremely important. Do not misunderstand me. Because if you, you don't get saved, then the rest of it is kind of, you know, pointless. However, Psalm 80, verse 3 says, Restore us, O God, make your face shine upon us that we may be saved. So there is something, there is a correlation between being saved and being restored. Now, um, <laughs> my son bought me a book. He actually bought me two books for Christmas. But um, this was one that he picked up because uh, the one he ordered hadn't come in in time for Christmas. Um, and uh, so this one was, and it's on the Plantagenets. It's on the the kings uh, and queens of England for about two hundred years. Um, and and in that, you know, when you could talk about being saved and being restored, and those two words, again, if we put it into a religious context, you know, we kind of understand what that means. But it's funny because as I'm reading the stories of these, the rise and fall of these kings and so forth, 
there, they would understand that there is a big difference between being saved, in other words, not dying, and being restored, which is having your power and your authority and your respect, recognition given back to you or earned or whatever. So they're both important, but they are not the same thing. Now, um, we can be very, very grateful for our salvation because that means we're not going to die and go to hell. I mean, that's a lot to be thankful for. Um, but that's not the whole story. We're, it's kind of like saying that, okay, salvation in a sense is like a wedding. And what is really important for those who are, you know, getting married or going to be married is you want that wedding celebration you know, that we want it to be as, as good and meaningful and symbolic as possible. But the important aspect is, how is that marriage going to be for the rest of your life? And I'm just saying right now, you know, as a country, we're not doing real well with that. You know, we, we have some great wedding celebrations, uh, you know, and I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to put blame on anybody. I'm just saying that the main thing that is being done when you have a marriage ceremony is you're signing up for a lifelong commitment to one another, and I'm not, I really, I can't, um... I'm extremely grateful to God that I'm still married after 42 years. And that's because of his grace, not because I'm a good husband. Okay? Seriously. I mean, I do believe that I have, you know, I've done some things right, but I know I've done some things wrong. And so, so it's really not about, Again, that's why I'm saying I'm not trying to judge anyone or put anybody down because of something like that. What I am saying, though, is to understand that being saved and being restored as a person, as a people, all of this stuff, there is a big difference. That's all I'm trying to say right there. Now, uh, let's take a look in Hosea. And uh, chapter 6. Um, now, I remember the first time I really took notice of this scripture was after I'd been to a, uh, uh, a, a, actually it was a Kevin Prosh 
concert worship event uh, in in Birmingham at what at the old at the old Birmingham Vineyard, which was in a uh, an old movie theater back behind um, what was that East Lake. Yeah, it was in Roebuck, right, yeah. Roebuck Shopping Plaza or something like that, yeah. And uh, so we go in there, and there was this song. I'd never heard it before. Kevin Prosser wrote it. And if any of you know me and have heard much going on about, uh, I mean, you know, heard me lead worship, then this is one of my favorite songs to do, and it really speaks to me. It still speaks to me, and that was 25 years ago probably. So, Hosea 6.1, come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will restore us. That we may live in his presence. Now, first of all, <clears throat> I want to say that when I heard that song, I, I really thought it was, what, daring, proper, I don't know, for somebody to actually use a scripture that says that God hurt them. But guess what? That's what the scripture says. Now, I mean, there may be a theological way around that and say, well, God calls somebody else to do such and such. I mean, and that's certainly how he you know, did that stuff all the time. But what is Hosea saying? Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. Um, which I think is pretty straightforward. And why has... God torn them? Why has God injured them? Well, if you know about the story of Hosea, and I'm not going to go into much detail about this, but, but the prophet Hosea, he lived in the 8th century B.C., meaning that was a long time ago, Right? We're in the 21st century A.D., so that's a long time. Um, <clears throat> and he was in, uh, I don't know how much you know about the history of, of, of Israel, but, you know, after, I mean, when David died and left to Solomon a, a united kingdom, it was, you know, it, the, the, all the tribes had their little areas but ultimately, there was a split, and the northern kingdom, which 
is called, I mean, later on in the New Testament, it would be called Samaria. And then you have, I mean, you had Israel there that's now, you know, that was later called Samaria. And then you have, you know, Judah, which was later called Israel. But Israel, anyway, it's, geography can be confusing because in Jesus' time, they called it all Israel. However, they were two kingdoms under two kings. And they had, there were several generations of kings. And this is, um, he is from the northern kingdom. And God wants him as a prophet, Hosea as a prophet, to, to act out something. To not, not to, not, this isn't really acting. He wants, he wants it done physically. I mean, it's, it's, it's for real. It's not acting. But he wants to show the nation what to, to he wants them to see what it is that he is trying to to offer them that God is he's not going to put up with a lot of the stuff they're doing they're engaged in a lot of idolatry um, and so what he does is he has Hosea, and by the way, Hosea, the name Hosea is a, 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 a way of saying in Hebrew, uh, salvation. It's a good name to have if you're a prophet. And so what he does is he tells, God tells Hosea to marry uh, a woman who will be unfaithful and to have children by her who will also be not interested in the things of God. Now, God is telling him to do this. So he does this. And sure enough, she is unfaithful. And Hosea continues to love her. Hosea continues to display that he, you know, would like for her to abandon her lovers and come home and so forth. Um, and... Verse 2 says, after two days, he will revive us. Now, Hosea is saying, come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. And that, and then after two days, he will revive us on the third day. He will restore us that we may live in his presence. Now, that could just be a coincidence, but I don't believe in prophets and coincidence at the same time. Neither did the Jews. 
So for eight centuries, they had this prophecy. Eight centuries. I mean, what if somebody gave us a prophecy in, you know, around the year 1300? Does anybody even know what was going on in the world in 1300? Okay? But, I mean, you know, so, they, but they did. I mean, the, the Jewish scribes had, you know, made note of this. They wrote down the scriptures. They learned the scriptures. They read the scriptures in synagogue and all that. So, when they, you know, when there's this thing about uh, when, when Jesus' crucifixion takes place, uh, and on the third day he will restore us that we may live in his presence, then, you know, that's, that's there. It's, it's part of the tradition. But the point is, it's not just that we are saved, it's that we are restored, we are empowered, we are given not just the opportunity, but the power to live our lives in devotion to Him, to want to do it. And, you know, this isn't about, like, Gomer... And I know for those of you who were raised the same time I was that Gomer was a Marine, you know, on Gomer Powell USMC or, or you know, Mayberry or something. But I, I imagine there's a reason they picked that name. But this is a different Gomer. And so that I don't think that there's going to be a... Um, um, I mean, this isn't about her just being saved. This is about her being changed, about her being redeemed. And that is, an, you know, an illustration of Israel. Okay, so that was then. The process of um, restoration continues. So if you'll look with me to Acts chapter 3 starting in verse 19. And you all know what Acts is, right? This is the third chapter of Acts. This is the one right after the famous second chapter of Acts. So, uh, the, you know, there's, the church is established. I mean, it, it's, you know, the huge Pentecost thing was in the previous chapter. So, Repent then and turn to God that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets and we just mentioned one of those holy prophets so it's not complete and yet what is happening this 
process of redemption continues. Now, this was 2,000 years ago, a little over that. Um, so, and it's not just a, a restoration of a nation or a people, because if you look at 1 Peter 5.10, And this was, a, this was a scripture that I, I, you know, it's always sort of been on my mind. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. And that suffering is is a part of the plan. It is necessary. Now, there's suffering that we do that's not necessary. That's because we do dumb things sometimes, and the consequences, you know, will be suffering. And sometimes it's suffering for people who don't deserve that. But this is just suffering of life, and it can be horrendous. And nobody goes through this life, nobody, nobody goes through this life without suffering. And that suffering is a part of the process. And I won't get into all that right now, but, but it is. It's a process of, of how, we, how we grow, how we attain, you know, grace or grow in grace. But... So in that case, this was a, 1 Peter 5.10 is about our individual restoration. Um, so, in, and then if we look at Philippians chapter 3, uh, verses 10 and 11, it's, you know, this corruptible world has to die and rise up incorruptible. So, I want to know I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and fellowship of sharing in his sufferings becoming like him in his death and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead so we are to partake in that resurrection but I think the main point of this is what God's desire for us is. It's not just to save us. It's not just to put us in a garden tending plants. It's to reestablish a relationship and to actually let us enter into. This was the thing that got really messed up in Eden. So, everybody knows, I don't know what it is, Romans 8 has an awful lot of memory scriptures, right? <laughs> you know? So, what I'm going to do is, let's start with uh, verse 13. Okay. 
For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Okay. I get that. It's a little bit challenging a thought. Because, you know, how do I do that? Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So we don't just do that by willpower, you know. I mean, we have to make choices. We have to choose. But this is, this is being led by the Spirit of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Now I'm sure you've heard, or I imagine you've heard, that that Abba is kind of translated like Daddy. So this is, the, the purpose here is to put us into a state of, of crying out to God the Father is God our Daddy. And I don't want to take that lightly because on the one hand, I believe there is a reverence for God which is entirely proper. I think the idea of, of taking, you know, well, that's the old religious way. Well, you know what? Some of that, I mean, a lot of that old religious way was, was that way because it was right. But on the other hand, I mean, in other words, there's sort of like a pendulum. There's a pendulum that goes over here to a, a God who is so, uh, is to be respected and is to be, I mean, all these things are true now. Don't misunderstand me. The idea is to be respected. He's holy. He's, um, but there's a, a kind of a distance involved there. And that's true. On the other hand, there is the pendulum will swing all the way over here to where we're supposed to go, Daddy. And that is also true. And we go, how can they both be true? It's hard to understand. It's hard to comprehend. But they are both true. It's not either or. It's both. Now, you don't have to agree with me in that. I'm just telling you from what I understand of the Scriptures. But it seems to me that we go through these phases where it's, uh, you know, my buddy Jesus to uh, unapproachable Father. And, and, in, and really, they're both... There's truth in both of those. But we are, we are allowed to approach the Father by the intercession and the blood of His Son, Jesus. Okay? That's, a, that's an important if. If we are 
you know, if we are in Christ, if we go to him, then we have permission and we can be extremely informal in our prayers and in all these sort of things. But again, we have to remember that we're not doing that just be, you know, by virtue of, of um, I don't know, being good people or anything. But on the other hand, the, the buddy Jesus idea, um, <laughs> that's okay too as long as we realize that he is the holy son of God, creator of the universe. I mean, if we can hold all those ideas in our heads at the same time, then we can, you know, we can enjoy both ends of the spectrum. But the problem is we tend to swing one way and then we tend to swing another way. You know, one of them is, we would say, as outside observers, cold and religious. And the other one is uncomfortably messy and sloppy and undisciplined and whatever. Sloppy agape. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's a pretty good term. Um, now, the point is, is not, I'm not trying to convert anybody to, to, to e any of the, anywhere in between this. What I am trying to say, though, is that there are, there are these extremes, and the extremes represent realities uh, and if we try to build some kind of construct around, you know, this one or this one or this one or this one. And, I mean, I, we're, well, we sort of have to do that. However, if we argue with anybody else about it, I think we're in trouble. First of all, Jesus said, judge not. I don't claim to be a scholar of Greek or Aramaic or any of that stuff, but I'm pretty sure, like a lot of other people who've studied it, it meant don't judge. We can, we can you know, we have to make decisions about what we're going to engage in, who we're going to know, what we're going to, you know, those kind of things. Those, those are just decisions and we call them judgment calls but what, what the difference between a judgment i think in this sense is is we don't get to condemn do you understand i mean we can say um that person is probably not somebody i ought to go you know to a party with or ought not to go to you know whatever in other words, just whatever, for whatever reason, we make a decision. But I'm not saying that person's going to hell. Because that's not my call. What I am saying here, though, is that whatever we have to do to try to understand our, the dynamic that we have with being restored into this relationship, that bottom line, the relationship is now the term here is sonship in in the english translation now that's not as sexist a term as it appears to be 
I mean, the term that was used um, in the, in the scripture in the New Testament for um, I guess it was brothers. Anyway, the same word. It's the same word as sisters, so they could actually translate it brothers and sisters, and sometimes do. But the idea here is, the key idea here is, we're being restored to a position of unity with God in that kind of relationship. So, um, verse 16, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Okay, so the Spirit, capital S, the Holy Spirit. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. And if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Now, I hate it, but there it is. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will, will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. So that's, that's our, you know, that's where God wants us to be. Now, how do we get there? Let's take a look at that famous verse, Romans 8, 28. I mean, I've heard that quoted so many times. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. Oh, wow. So we know that all things, in all things, God works for the good of those that love him. We go, okay. Who have been called according to his purpose. So if, you know, if we love him and we're called, then everything's going to work out. But when it says all things, what does that mean? Well, people stop at 28 instead of proceeding to verse 29, the very next one. For those God foreknew... He also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be first the firstborn among many brothers. So that all of those that God knew were going to love him and that he was going to call to their purpose in other words all the stuff that's happening including the hard things and I think maybe especially the hard things again I hate that but again that's, that's what happens when you 
sin. So the idea here is that we are to be conformed to the image of God's Son, and we're supposed to look like family. Not just have a tag on us that says saved, you know, go to heaven. It's, it's that we are to be processed, or we are to be, I don't know what the word here is, we, but conformed. We're going to be conformed to that image. We're going to take on more and more of the family image as we go through this life by the things that happen. Um, well, let's skip on down to 31. Um, so, what then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? That's another one I've heard quoted an awful lot. But this is in context. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? So he, his desire... Is to, is to give us all things, to make us joint heirs with his son. But we have to be, we have to take on the family image. And that's something he's going to do. Really, all we got to do is not quit. I'm going to throw a scripture in here that I didn't give Jimmy a heads up on. Um, and this is all, this is, go back to Romans, Romans 3, 3 through 5, I think is right. Okay. Let's see if that's right. Oh, let's see. No, it's Romans 5. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Um anybody y'all y'all have trouble mixing numbers up like fives and threes and sevens and nines or okay never mind <laughs> I do <laughs> all right okay all right all right so okay Romans 5 um, three through five now he's uh, the idea here is he's talking about justification in other words Salvation, right? And, and, and being forgiven for the sins. Okay, so... Um, okay, verse 3. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations. And that means suffering. So we are... We learn over time to be grateful in our suffering. 
knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. Y'all know what perseverance is? I mean, you know, we think about it and it's like, okay, I'm going to give you a kind of a rough and ready definition. It means not giving up. And a lot of times that is not pretty. I mean, if you can manage to go through tribulations and you can do this without I mean if you can do this grandly then by all means do that but I have not been able to do that I find that I do stuff you know like well if you look at David and the other psalmists you know it's like going why Lord You know? Now they end up praising God, but I mean, they start off by going, what are you thinking? So there's that. But usually perseverance, I mean, again, it just comes down to this. Don't quit. So, You start off with tribulation, and that brings about perseverance. Well, you don't have to persevere when things aren't hard, do you? So, and perseverance, proven character. So whatever you thought you were, after you go through the suffering and the perseverance, you're going to find out how much of that is true? All right? Maybe some of it. My experience, never all of it. But the point is, is that it is like a refining fire. It is the thing that lets you know what is, what is really there in who you are. And proven character, hope. So notice that. We have suffering, perseverance, character, and hope. That is a process that the suffering requires perseverance because if we give up that's the end of that cycle and it also means we don't get the understanding of character and we don't get the hope but if we do this we get the suffering we get the perseverance then we understand the character that means we know we know god better than we did before and we know ourselves better than we did before And finally, hope, because this hope is coming on the result of things that have been tested and proven, while the things that were fantasies or wishful thinking have been stripped away.
And hope does not disappoint. So this isn't a... There's a term they use for the hope that people have. I can't think of the term right now. Um, anyway, it's a psychological term. It's like a, a kind of hope that you might foster to make you feel better about something. This is a hope that is based on real stuff. And that hope will not disappoint us because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And it is the Holy Spirit who sees us through these things. When we persevere, we persevere in prayer. We persevere. Now, I'm not saying that there, everything that comes from our mouths is a prayer because that's not been my experience. But I am saying that it is the power of God that sees us through. And in that, we learn more and more about what it is we're supposed to be. And what does that leave us with? We are, we are to a greater degree conformed to the image of God's Son. That's what this entire life is about. So if you'll recall, <laughs> Hosea 6, 1 and 2, come let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds after two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will restore us that we may live in his presence. And that's, that's where we're headed. Right? That's the goal, is to be conformed to the family image and to go through whatever it is we have to go through. In, pers in, in, in perseverance, yes, but perseverance with the help of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, and then find out about more and more about ourselves, more and more about God, and that leads us to a hope. And that's not like, oh, okay, I did the process, now let's go. Well, yep, that's true. But guess what's going to happen later? The process again. Because that's how we grow. So, let's pray. Lord, we want, we want to Be conformed to the image of your Son, Jesus. We want to live by your Spirit. And I'll just tell you, I am terrified when we bring up suffering. 
And I wish I could be like Paul and say that, well, I, we are grateful for it, you know, uh, but I, I, it's just hard for me to say that it's something I look forward to, but it's your will that I trust. And so in all of these things, we just put ourselves into your hands and we trust you in your spirit not just to save us, but to redeem us. You have resurrected us from the dead and now that we're asking for you to restore us into a, you know, more and more into a relationship with you. And that we ask in Jesus' name. And now, let me just say, for anybody who is, uh, whether you're uh, here in this room or you are out there <laughs> in the Internet world, and you haven't been resurrected, you have not, you know, prayed for, confessed your sins, now I don't mean you've got to go through the whole catalog, I'm just saying that you know, you know what I'm talking about. You will feel the Holy Spirit tugging on you now. I'm just saying respond to that. Okay, just respond to that and accept Jesus as your Savior. So that way if you haven't begun this journey, you can. And, and I don't want to paint this as something... Uh, now, I'm just going, I'll be honest with you, this life is hard, but it is not as hard as the alternative. Okay? I mean, I'm just telling you, there's no easy way out of this life. And it may be hard, but it's blessed. It is truly blessed. I mean, I'm looking around the room right now, and I see people who've really suffered hardship. And I'm just telling you, they're smiling. Okay? That ought to be an indication of something. In any case, if you would, uh, you know, if, if you want to get in touch with us about that, if you make that decision, <coughs> then... Um, you can message it, me message us on Facebook. You can call us, all right? Because we would really like to uh, assist you any way that we can. And again, for those of you who are resurrected, just hang in there. <laughs> all right. God bless you all. And uh, if you have a prayer, if you want prayer, then uh, you going over to this carpet over here. Okay, then you could join them on, on that carpet.